Welcome to another edition of the Journal Podcast. Today we are joined by internationally acclaimed mindset coach Jeff Nicholson, a man who has overcome adversity and shown that anything is possible. We look at the path and journey that led Jeff to becoming a mindset coach and discuss the many challenges that he's faced along the way. Jeff gives us an insight into these struggles, how he's dealt with them, and how he has turned his own experiences into helping people all over the world excel and live their best life. Well, Jeff, thank you very much for joining us today on the Journal Podcast. That's really appreciated. For our listeners, could you just explain what exactly a mind coach is, what it is you do, and how you got into it? Okay, so a mind coach ultimately for me is our, what goes on or the conversations that go on between our ears are the things that are either going to move you forward or hold you back. And that doesn't matter whether we're talking about personal life or careers, if you own a business, whatever. The things that we think lead to feelings and those feelings either stop us from taking action or make us take action. And for me, a mindset coach is about helping people get the right messages to them that's going to motivate them to do what they need to do. Now, that could be recovering from a condition. It might be going to achieve goals. It just very much depends on that individual. But ultimately, it's stopping the self-talk from being limiting and instead being empowering. I guess the, the, the how I got into it, my original background was uh, originally confectionery. I was supposed to work for the family business, but that didn't exactly work out. And then I went to work as a printer when I was about 19 years old, working in the print industry. And in 2000, I was struck with my first case of meningitis. Kind of like shook me up a little bit, took me six months to recover. And then almost a year to the day, I got hit again. And that absolutely floored me. It left me kind of like trying to, well, not only trying to get my life back on track because I didn't recover straight away. I got something called chronic fatigue syndrome and that left me bedbound for a year, sleeping about 20 hours a day. And then I was housebound with low self-esteem, massive anxiety, clinical depression. And in January 2006, I remember giving my kids and my wife a kiss saying, I'll see you later with every intention to end my life. Because I couldn't see a way out for them, not so much for me, because for me it would have been very, very quick. But in that moment of insanity, I kind of like thought that was the only way that my wife and my kids could improve. And I've known my wife since I was eight. I've always wanted kids, but I just couldn't see how I could get out of that. But it was in that moment, I guess, desperation um, also came this point of inspiration where it was I heard my eldest son, who at the time was about five just say, not now, daddy, not now. And I just heard it screaming and screaming in my head. And I skidded to the side of the road, burst into tears, anger, everything that comes along with that sort of shift. And I just went, right, I need to know how I can move my life from where it is now, which I didn't believe could get any worse, to actually creating not only my life back as normal, whatever normal means to an individual, but actually what can I do to create something exceptional to make it rememberable? Because at that moment in time, I remember having twice during that illness, I remember looking at my kids and thinking that was my last moment and going, OK, I've told them that I love them, but I just remember this amount of anger that was going through me. And I thought, right, I'm, I'm, I don't want to live my life, so I live with a regret I want to try and make sure I'm living my life with something that actually they can be proud of, I can be proud of, and 
when I do live my last moment, I can kind of like look and go, and, do you know what? I did well. And that's really what got me into mindset. Selfishly, I had to learn it for myself. I realized I absolutely loved it. And then what was more of a gift was to be able to use what I had learned, not only from the, the books, but also from personal experience and then helping people to deliver that. And actually, we're people. Everyone kind of like ultimately wants the same thing, which is to be happy and fulfilled. But the demon, self-talk, critic, however we want to call it, just absolutely nails us and stops us from doing what we want to do. So that's really how I got and why I got into it. I'm sorry to hear you've been through all that. It sounds like such a difficult but incredible journey to get to where you are now. Obviously, people would respond in such different ways to facing things like that. Do you think it was that made you then focus your attention towards helping others cope with similar situations? Yeah, there was a... I spent an awful lot of my time listening to people who were sick when I was sick. And it was all of these dreams that hadn't, you know, whether they hadn't been able to have children, whether it is that they hadn't started the business that they wanted, whether they weren't the parent or the partner that they wanted to be. And the what I thought was is, is I couldn't, I didn't want to go back into print because print is a very, very stressful environment. And it's probably even worse now than it was back then. But what I did want to do is I wanted to do something where I felt there was growth not only in my life, but actually to be able to help someone to not get to my point, to not go to the, not even to the place that I went to, but to that point where they're, they're working in an environment that they don't like. They started a business, but doesn't motivate them. So for me, it was that it was a gift to not only get my life back, but to be able to go, OK, let's do something useful with it. You've talked about your struggles there, Jeff, and uh, mm. on, on your website, one of the things that you talk about is that in the past you've had difficulties with expressing your emotions. Firstly, how did you overcome this and why do you think it's particularly important facing your emotions and struggle head on? Can this help you change your mindset? So the answer is yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> it is. It one. It is a struggle. I mean, for me, I what you often find is is people don't make a move or a, a, a big change in their life until they're forced to. You know, whether you want to call it the metaphorical brick wall or, or whatever, but people don't decide to go. I need to change my life until they are actually put into a corner and go. This is the only option. So I, there was an element where I was forced into it because if I didn't look at things, I, um, I, you know, I wouldn't be here today is ultimately what the, what the result would be. However, saying that during my illness, because I was looking at not only the traditional medicine, but the, um, sort of, um, historical medicine such as acupuncture and all sorts of stuff like that, I realized that actually the, the biggest block in my recovery was me. And that happens in so many different things. Our progression is stopped by us, not because of what's happened around us, but actually the way we interpret the environment around us. And what I realized was, is it wasn't until I had took courage and I went, okay, just one step forward. It doesn't have to be 50 steps forward. It's just one step forward. 
And courage comes in many different forms. So for the person that's sitting there thinking that stress isn't affecting them, but it is, but it ultimately they're at risk of heart attack or they're, they're frustrated and they're angry or whatever stress has formed. Maybe they're drinking too much or looking at other things to solve it. The first step is just going, I need help. Now that takes a huge amount of courage. And unfortunately in this world, it takes, it seems that men don't necessarily like asking for help because they're weak and women don't like necessarily asking for help because they think they're weak if they ask for help in in whatever world that they're currently in. But the truth is, is just go, I need help. And sometimes we need medication. And I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to pretend I am. But sometimes that pauses the brakes a little bit for us then to go and seek, you know, uh, talking therapies or something like that. So I think more people than not can deal with it. It just depends on what's going on, but they need to get help first. And then it's just taking one step at a time. So it wasn't like all of a sudden I just went, okay, I can cope with everything. I had to gradually build that resilience up, but I was prepared to do the work because fortunately and unfortunately, I had seen what depths I would go to, to that point. And again, the reason why I do this, so people don't have to go to that. So I think anyone can do it. I think sometimes you've got to park your ego because your ego is sometimes a big thing that says, you know, no, you can't possibly do that. I've worked with clients who are uh, veterans who have suffered from PTSD and all sorts of different things. But it's just having the courage to go, Okay, I'm going to ask for help. And it can be private. No one in the world needs to know. Just take that first step to go, Okay, Or, you know, in truth, speak to someone like myself. Because they know that 80% of people can't do this on their own. Unfortunately, 95% of people think they can. So it's just being willing to ask for that support. I think that's quite important. I think when people, there is a reluctance from people, whether that's a thing in society just now or whether that's something that's always been there, that some people just are reluctant to reach out and say, listen, I need need help here. I didn't. I'll be, I'll be honest, I, I, I always found my courage on, on the sports field. It wasn't during academia, my, my because I'm dyslexic and stuff, and I struggle with self-esteem and confidence, but on the, on the rugby pitch, that was where competition was king for me. But it was then dealing with my emotions in a, in a you know, when you start working in a career or when you have family and, you, you know, you start having youngsters, and there's an element where your attention gets taken off you and then put onto them. And I teach something called being positively selfish because we're taught that selfish is wrong. To think about ourselves is, is wrong. But actually, if we use the, the analogy of being in an aeroplane and the oxygen masks comes down to save those people that we care about next to us, we have to put the oxygen on us first. It goes against our, for myself, with my kids, it goes completely against everything that I'm wired to do. But in order to look after you, sorry, to look after them, you need to look after you first. You know, your family will work better if you are at your best place. If they're spending time worrying about what's going on with you, then they're disengaging from actually what's going on in their life. So actually that that ability to go, OK, let's move forward. And you're right. It's a lot of the time as well. This isn't the thing to do for me as a man to go to speak to someone and say, I don't know for what reason, but I'm just bursting into tears. It's like I'm really worried what this doctor's going to say about it. But, you know, you've just got to kind of like dig deep and go, well, this is for me in order to benefit the people around me who I care about. 
You touched on gender a bit there. I think that's a stereotype in society of women maybe finding it easier to talk about emotions Mm -hmm. or men like burying it a bit deeper down, not feeling comfortable asking for help. Is that something you've seen a lot while coaching other people? There's two different strategies that I see quite often is one of the great things that I see often with women is women like to talk about it, but they sometimes talk about it within a circle that isn't necessarily benefiting them. But I also think there's huge challenges that the pressure is put on women because they sometimes feel that, certainly with the experience I've had working with my clients, is is that they not necessarily want to get something across because they don't want to be seen as the weaker sex or whatever it is. To me, that's we're people and that's what it should be. Men, they'll use bravado as a defense mechanism or what they'll do is, is they will use drink probably more. And I think actually now in society, that's probably spreading further or wide, but they'll use other things to sort of do that rather than actually face. Because facing, it's frightening. You know, for every way, however you identify yourself, it's frightening. So it's just, you've just got to be able to take it in. And sometimes, again, it's that terminology where it doesn't really matter what other people think, because the ones that matter are the ones around you that you care for, and you, not Joe Bloggs, who's sitting in accounting and thinks it's stupid. It is a challenge, and I, you know, I don't pretend to ignore that challenge. I think that's what you said there. It's the perception that other people might yeah. have of you, whether that's something that's got bigger through tools like social media. That you should really only be interested in the opinion, your opinion of yourself or maybe yes. your closest family yeah. and friends, but there does seem to be this sort of perception that people have that they're worried what other people will think of them, and that seems to play a massive role in people being scared almost to come forward totally. and say, listen, I've got a problem. But it's a story that those people are telling themselves, and I'm, you know, I'm guilty of it. We all tell ourselves these stories that are so believable but ultimately they are determined by us and how we are taking in our environment. So, for example, I used to walk down the street when I was able to walk, and if ever I heard laughing, I assumed they were laughing at me because I was a six-foot-four bloke who was walking around with a walk, two, one or two walking sticks. Now, in truth, they, 90% of them probably couldn't give a damn about me. But because of the story that I was telling myself, then, of course, that story, whatever you believe is true, will end up being the case. And and that bit is the bit that we need to create in the resilience, because the percentage of people who are just out there and just negative is a lot smaller than what we perceive as to be true. And what sometimes we've got to choose is we've got to choose the narrative that we want to create. And that takes work. But we have to pick that. And it doesn't matter if you stand in front of the mirror and go, do you know what? I am an awesome person today. If that's what you need to do, then that's what you do. And a little secret, although it's not a secret because I've written about it, I have done, I not to say I am awesome, but I have a, a mantra or a power phrase that I use every single day. And I do it in front of the mirror. And I've done it now for 16 and a half years because it's the thing that helped me get my head in the space for helping my recovery. And I'll st- I still do it every day. But I don't care what other people think because for me, the, one of the benefits in the work that I've done is I've created a thicker skin, but that still doesn't mean people can't hurt if they say the wrong thing to us because I'm a human being. Yeah, of course. And actually, 
What is the, the power phrase, your, your mantra that you use, Jeff? No, no, that is secret. <laughs> that is, that, not even my wife knows my power phrase. <laughs> uh, what I will tell you, though, is I, it, it's very, very short. It means the world to me. And when I do say it, it's the words I say, the tonality I say it, and the congruence in my posture. Because if any of those aren't right, if there's no congruence in that, then the phrase doesn't work. And again, it's a building thing. I call it the, the, the fuel gauge of self-esteem. What it does is everyone starts by looking at their feet because they don't want to look at themselves in the mirror. But when you get to a point where you can actually look at yourself in the mirror and say these things with congruence and meaning, then you will feel great. And a lot less people will have an effect on you than that. So without obviously telling us what the phrase is, um, like how could you tell us a bit about how you found that phrase for yourself or say are there any yeah, lessons you like so, to pass? So what I will say is the one thing that is in there is I love you because I've come from a place of absolutely detesting myself. And the one gift I would always say is if I don't respect me and love myself, then how is anyone else going to or how, how am I going to come across to people? Ultimately, what it is, it's about thinking about what is it that you would love someone to say to you? Really, really simple. What is it, like, whether it be a partner, whether it be a best friend? And there's a real, the, the real interesting thing with this is, again, high 90s, everyone wants the same kind of like thing said to them. It might be you're fantastic, you're a lovely soul, you're trusting, you know, you're beautiful, whatever it is. Just think of some phrases that you would love someone to say to you and write them down. And it doesn't have to make grammatic sense. You know, it doesn't have to be war and peace. It just wants to be. It could be something like, do you know what, Delilah, you are an amazing human being with a heart of gold. And you say, and I love myself. Now, just think if you said that every single day to yourself in the mirror, rather than quite possibly you might. Some people might look at themselves in the mirror when they're getting ready and going, why are you even going outside today? You know, you you don't look right. Your hair's not right. I might say that, um, you know, that um, my posture's not right or whatever it is. And if all you're doing is saying that to yourself in the mirror every day, it's not going to make you feel very good. So change it. Put some put some words by your meaning, not by someone defining it. Change the story. Yeah, that sounds really powerful. I think it's easy to underestimate yeah. how much the way you think does affect yeah. you. I think because it's so... Yeah. Conscious, but then if someone yeah. else was saying or like as mean to you as anyone can Absolutely. be yourself in the yeah. head. Well, it's like I remember my, I, and sometimes people say the things with the best intention, but they don't necessarily know how someone's going to read it. So I remember my granddad, because I wasn't great at school, I struggled with work in general. And I remember my granddad saying to me, Don't worry, son, you might not have the brains, but you've got the personality. Now, how I read that was, I know he meant it from a place of love. However, how I read it was, I'm as thick as a piece of wood, and I've got to make people like me from my personality. And because of that, I got bullied because I just let people do what they wanted to do. So I had to change that to go, no, I can be a nice person, but it doesn't mean I have to take any BS from anyone. It's all about inner strength, really. And you've shown inner strength and abundance, obviously, Jeff, to get where you are today. And one of the things that you talk about on your, your website as well, you discuss the success IQ. Can you yeah. tell us more about that and what it is? Yeah, so success IQ ultimately is, is a, a fundamental set of pillars that helps someone create the kind of things that we've been talking about. And it allows them 
you know, the success bit is, is understanding what success means to us as an individual. So not what social media says, but what, and I, deep down, I believe everyone wants to be happy and fulfilled, but what does that look like? Because we're bombarded with social media saying it should be a Maserati and eight bedroom house. But what happens if you like six chihuahuas in the lakes and a little cottage? It, there's some sort of sort of discontinuing conflict. It's identifying what it is. And the IQ bit is understanding about that you have to do something about it. It's not about sitting in the lotus position and just go, it's going to come to me, feel the dreams. You've got to get your hands dirty and you've got to do some work. And it's the relationship between that and the strategies. And ultimately what it is, it's looking at the, the fundamental key areas of our lives. And it doesn't matter whether I've worked with people, not only in my life, but whether I've worked with people who are recovering from illness, whether it's burnout, whether it's teaching them about the stress stuff, or whether it's working with the directors and CEOs of companies. There's five key areas. There's, and I call it shifts. So that's self, health, income, family and friends, tribe, sorry, it's six, and support. So what happens is, is if we think about that, everything starts with us. Our confidence and our self-esteem is how we deal with the world when we step outside and, and how we deal with the pressures of just being in life. Health has different facets of that. We have our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. This, this body is the engine that's going to create the lifestyle that you want. So we have to look after it. And we may be really good. We, you know, you might go to the gym every single day and you might look great in a bathing costume or whatever it is that your standard says that this is what your criteria of looking good is. But if you don't like who you are and if you are stressed to the nines every day or if you don't have a great way of identifying other people's emotions or how to deal with your own emotions, that, that vehicle is not going to get you to where you need to be. There's income. Well, whether you own a business, whether you've got a career, whatever it is, income is an important aspect of that. Family and friends. Not everyone gets on with family, but are we spending enough time building those key relationships? Then there's time. Well, what, do you, what are you doing with your time? How productive are you with your time? What are you doing for free time? Because quite a lot of people have this amazing ability to be busy for the sake of being busy. But are they actually creating quality, functional productivity time? You know, we walk around with these things attached to us all the time. And, you know, a tweet goes off or a bell goes off and we're in this what they call a state of flow. It can take you 20 minutes to half an hour to get back to that same state. So if you're always hovering around your phone needing to see the dopamine dope of, you know, you've just got a friend request or something. What you'll often find is, is that you're actually never in that perfect place to get the work done that you need to get done. And then the free time is really simple. What do you do for fun? Whatever that looks like. A huge amount of people work the week, go home to recharge, and then work their week again. And they're not really engaging in the, the stuff of what life is about. You know, if you think about it, you've got 24 hours in the day. You've got 12 hours you're probably sleeping or resting if you're lucky. And then you work, and you're probably left with four hours of actually doing stuff you enjoy to do. So the, this, the knack is not to just have four hours. The knack is to do as much as you can in creating the lifestyle that gives you what it is that you want to do. And then the final one is there's support. What is your support system? What does that look like? Who do you have around you that holds you to task that when you say, this is what I want to do with my life, they're not going, well, that's the wrong decision. They'll, they'll challenge you to make sure they know what you want to do. 
But then what they do is come on, let's get cracking. And our friends aren't always the best option because sometimes our friends tell us what we think we want to hear, not necessarily what we need to hear. And that's why a lot of business owners and stuff and business owners is an interesting one because they're alone at the tip of the spear. They don't necessarily have anyone under that can hold them accountable. Partners aren't always the best people to hold you accountable because they can be relentless. Sometimes it can feel like more like an interrogation than a support conversation. So picking the right people around you to hold you accountable is also a real key to, to achieve those goals. And one of the other things that's really important with that, everything is linked. If you're having a problem with your relationships, that's going to knock on to how productive you are being or your stress levels or how you feel and whether you're going to go to the gym or what your self-confidence is like. If you are having income problems, then that's going to have the same effect. If you don't feel great about yourself, then that's going to affect the daily actions that you're taking to the other things as well. So everything is interconnected. And most of us will only focus on one small channel quite often because it's easy. I think that's a really good way of by categorizing everything almost, because if you were to have all of that going round in your head constantly. Absolutely. You could see how someone could become overwhelmed, kicks in. incredibly overwhelmed if you almost sit it down and put all those things you've discussed into each different category. Yeah. You can almost put a, a plan together for yourself. Absolutely. How do I best and, utilize my time, et cetera? Yeah. And actually, that's the key thing because we, as much as many of us like to be free flowing spirits, structure is really important because structure helps our brain function more effectively. And planning is really is the basis to achieve what it is that we want to achieve. It doesn't matter what we're doing. We're goal-seeking organisms. We've just got to pick the right type of goals. And for me, I believe that we should have it. Again, it's a really simple acronym. It's called HITS, Health, Income, Tribe, and Self. They should be the four main key goals that we set every single, whether you want to do a 12-month, three-month, or whatever it is. What have you done every day for your health, your income, your tribe, and yourself? Because then you're shrinking everything down to bite-sized, achievable tasks. Because when you do New Year's resolutions are a great example. You know, 95% of people will give up by the first month. Generally, that will be because, as you said, you've overwhelmed yourself. You know, I need to lose weight. Great. Okay, so I'm going to hit the gym seven days a week when I've never done that for 40 years. And all of a sudden, it scares you. It's hard work. Pain is high. And you give up. And... Quite often what you hear is the same people make the same New Year's resolutions every single year because they haven't introduced the right strategy. And then it's like it becomes almost like an internal joke to themselves. Yeah, I'm absolutely terrible for that. I'm very much like, <laughs> if the gym hasn't worked in seven days, then probably not. Yeah, rubbish. <laughs> it's it's oh, the gym's fault, obviously. It's definitely the gym. I'll try again next year. Obviously, everyone's on their own personal journey and different elements of that will resonate with different people. Whereas, you know, at the same time, there's a lot of patterns that we all we can all fall into. Well, Delilah, I'll give you an example. I ask this at, my, at most of the workshops I'm doing. Most people, when you ask them, do you want to be successful, they'll go, yes. Okay. Removing the fact that once you understand what your success means, then you've got something to hit. The next question I ask is, how many people have a plan for the next three months? And quite often, the hands go straight down. I mean, I might go up to a year, and some more hands will come up. But then I'll ask them a very simple question. How many of them put more attention into their summer holidays than they do their own personal plan? Think about that. Because a huge percentage of people will go, well, all right, and I do. 
And why do they do that? It's because they want to have a great time. They want the best results, so they'll research the hell out of everything, and then they'll do the work that's required. The same principle applies to your life. It's just your life is more important than a two-week holiday. Yeah, definitely. That definitely resonates with me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really interesting way of looking at things. I've never thought about that. I know. I've genuinely quite often been like, why do I, yeah, like literally planning a holiday or a fun weekend, I've got weird motivation to be like, <laughs> let's research all the trains, like things are exactly. interesting. Research to get all that information so you can make the best decision possible. It doesn't feel like work. It's like, oh, this is because you're planning for a good time. But just forget about the nine months of the year. I just want to focus on these two weeks. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And and that's the thing is, it's because you look at a quick win and a short-term gain. And life is not short-term. But actually, the reality is, is you've got no idea what happens. I mean, look, look at what we're experiencing now. Who would have thought in our lifetime we would be told that we cannot leave home for a long period of time? Now, you look at all of the, like, there's a huge amount of people that in that moment have gone, I need to do something different. Something's not working right. Or, you know, these are the career choices I'm making. Or I need to do this and start my own business. Or my hairdresser moved into nursing because she's always wanted to do it. And what we need is, is you need to increase the level of importance you are in your life and not let life take its way. Because, I mean, I do a podcast. I've interviewed about 300 people. I think we've got 100 and something on there, 120 now on there. And the interesting thing is, is every single person who comes on that, the one thing they talk about is about being proactive, making a decision to run the direction of their life, not letting life make a direction of theirs. And it's really interesting when you see, like, everyone uses time as an excuse. Yeah, that's the one thing we all have exactly the same amount of time with. Now, granted, if you have young children, that can distort a little bit. But some of the people I've run have got three or four kids running around the house while they're creating a business. They just don't use time as an excuse. And I mean, sometimes I ask my clients to write down their excuses and we just laugh at them because once they've written them down, it's like, I cannot believe that's what my brain is saying is the reason I can't do X, Y or Z. See, there's an element where I don't think there should be guilt in things. For example, I might have an own business and the pressures of that, but I don't feel guilty if I go, I'm going to take a couple of hours off today because it's a lovely day. I'm going to go for a walk. But I'll know I'll try, I'll, I'll do what I can as long as I get through the important tasks because there's always going to be, I mean, one of the big things is task overwhelm with people is there's always going to be jobs to do. Just make sure you're doing the important ones and then, you know, go out. But I'll probably go out later on after this and go for a walk. And I won't feel guilty because one, I'm looking after myself. Two, it gives me space to think. You know, when you're in the rat race of day-to-day, you don't give yourself that space to think, but I might do that, but I don't feel guilty about it. You've obviously touched upon, like, the different journeys you've had with some of your clients, different people you've worked with. Could you maybe share with us a particular success story or an instance that's really resonated with you? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I won't use names, but I think one of the biggest ones was I used to do this training over in Norway for helping people with chronic fatigue. And I basically used to do this application process. So people had to meet a criteria. And the hard thing with this is, is actually people have to want to be well. Now, I know that's a a very weird thing, but unfortunately, some people have benefit in being ill. It becomes their life. And I want to make sure that the work that they do is going to get passed. So I got a phone call from a girl who said, I really want to be on your program. I filled in the application form and she didn't meet the criteria. So I had a word with her parents and said, look, I'm really sorry, but 
if she comes, she's not going to get the results that she wants. And I got this poor, upset girl that broke my heart. And she went, I just want to say, Jeff, I'm going to prove you wrong. And I went, fantastic. You know, I hope you do. And I arrived in Norway the next day. She lived in Sweden. And I arrived the next day, came down to the room, and there was a young girl lying on a lawn chair outside the office with her father. And I was like, right, okay. And never, never clicked. And she went, uh, I went, how, how are you doing? And she went, oh, I'm so-and-so. I made my dad drive all night from Sweden to Oslo so I could be so I could show you how determined I was to be part of this program. And once I'd wiped the tears from my eyes because I saw how determined this girl was, we got down to work. There was about four or five people in the group. And she is now a doctor because she was prepared, one, to show me that I was wrong, which I love that. But also she was prepared to do the work. And it wasn't always easy. And over a three-year period, she got, it wasn't just chronic fatigue that was wrong, there was confidence and everything else. She worked on it. She got the results. She got back to health, was back to school, started doing university, was fascinated in the work that we did with her. And now she's a doctor in Sweden. So that was probably the big one. How much do stories like that inspire you as well, the, the people that you work with and see oh, yeah. how they um, respond to it? I'll give you an example. I get I get things like this. So this is a drawing of a cartoon that one of my clients made. Not while she was listening to my training, I must add. And it's, uh, it's got a letter of what she's done since working with me and stuff. I keep everyone. Out of all the stuff, it's the most empowering because it's it shows that I'm helping people improve their lives, which is ultimately what I want to do. That's why I started it. You know, we only get one crack of the whip. There's a, a metaphor story. It's called the carrot, the egg, and the coffee bean. And I won't go into all of that because it's, it's great. I'll share it with you after the show. But what it does say is when we live our lives, when we're born, everyone around us is smiling and we're crying. When we leave this world, let us be the ones smiling and everyone around us crying. And I think that's how we ultimately should live our lives. People are starting their businesses because they want to create a better lifestyle for themselves or their loved ones. People are looking at getting promotions and all sorts of things because ultimately they want to improve their lives. But you've got to do the work and you've got to be willing to change the story that's going on. And when you can do that, you will be stunned at the results that you can get. I think that's great. You're essentially helping people to live life. And one of the things you, you mentioned work there, you mentioned people starting their own businesses and we've mm. talked about how busy people mm-hmm. in general are and sort of excuses that they might come up with because you can't do this and that. And one thing a lot of people do struggle with while building their business, for example, is yep. the balance between life and work. Mm. Do you have any tips at all uh, for our listeners about managing this well? Yes. Okay. So I think for me personally, the first thing I would say is work-life balance is a myth, especially when you're on your own business or if you're trying to climb up the ladder. I think what it's all about is about prioritization. So for example, if we look at business owners, business owners are doing it because they love to do what they do. And also it's their baby in a sort of speak. So it's very hard for them to switch off what they are doing. But what I do think is really important is is when you look at your diary every week, you should be prioritizing certain things. If you've got a young family, prioritize the hell out of that. Because speaking from someone who lost six years with their kids and I was in a place where I didn't want to see them and they are the world to me, you need to make sure that you're, you're setting time aside to go and see them play rugby or go to the sports day or go to their dance recital 
or sit in bed and read them a story or even sit down and watch. We used to watch David Attenborough things for the kids. You've got to prioritize that time to spend quality. And don't forget your partner, your, your life partner, because when you have kids, that can be detached. So you've got to make sure. And the first thing I would say is we went to this about planning and structure. Put it in your diary. It doesn't feel right at first, like, oh, no, what? So I'm blocking time out with my kids. No, it doesn't, but it manages your distractions. Put your phone downstairs. Don't have your phone with you next to your bed when you're reading the kids. Just put 100% attention into the quality time you want to do. Now, that might be with your family, but don't forget the quality time with you. You know, don't forget to go out. If you go to the gym, when you've removed all those excuses about dogs and everything there, uh, Chris, you know, make, make sure that you have got, you know, you're spending some quality time with yourself. Start to get comfortable being with just you because that is just as valuable as being with the others. But you've got to block the time out. And again, I get it. Ironically, owning your own business is one of the most rewarding things I've ever done, but it's definitely one of the most stressful things I've ever done. But what I promised myself when I first started was, one, practice what I teach, but also I have to put as much attention into the other people and the important people in my life as much as I have to put in into sort of getting the business to run. And pro the big one is prioritization. And sometimes that prioritization is about getting help for you because you can't do it all on your own, or perhaps you can, but you need to take a step back and think about, can I do it better? Because quite often, certainly companies who have, let's say they micromanage a bit or they, they can't let everything go, that's one of the skills that they really need to learn and adapt on because that's part of the problem. You know, you, you bring people in to remove the pressure from you. You don't have to be the best person in the company to do marketing if you've never done marketing before. That That is all part of creating that, let's call it harmonization between work and life. Because when you think of work-life balance, you're almost saying there should be a 50-50 split. If you've got a big contract in, you might not spend that much time at home. But what you do always have to spend is put that time aside to spend it with the important people in your life. Because as much as you think they're young, they'll remember and you'll remember, which is even worse. It's making sure that you're setting that time aside. So I think prioritization is the big one, if anything. You touched upon this a little bit before, but one of the things in the last couple of years in lockdown, the pandemic and everything, that is something that has made a lot of people reassess their priorities mm. and how yeah. they manage their time, time spent with family, work-life yeah. balance. It's made us yeah. really have, have like a close look at that. How, from your personal experience and the information you've shared with your clients, what impact have you found that's had on people? I think, the, I think the big thing was what it did create was it created a pause because they were forced not to do something. And it, it, and it didn't matter whether you were employed or whether you owned your own business. The, the, the pressures are relative to you as an individual. But actually, to actually give people the time to go, am I doing the right thing? Is this the right thing for me? Can I improve things better? I found an awful lot of people decided to get rid of their offices and work from home more because it was like, actually, as challenging as it could be with young kids or 15 animals like Chris has got around them, 
there's actually some better things about working from home. The commute's a lot shorter anyway. But, you know, I think the thing that allowed people to do was pause to think and reflect. And whether that was what came out was career choices or things that they could improve or things that they, a couple of clients noticed how little time they spent with their family. Because it was like, well, the office isn't open, so now I'm at home all the time. And they really got to understand how much joy they could have being with their family and that it wasn't all about the work. Because sometimes with some people, work is what they think life is. And that's that's like a very, very small bit. So I think the big thing was that reflection point, as you said before, and it was to give themselves just time to plan as well. Sometimes you're, you're, you're in the rat race and just it's every day super fast. And all of a sudden you lift your head off and it's going, wow, OK, it's Friday. But actually to to be forced into doing what we did, and don't get me wrong, it caused a lot of stresses as well, but to force people into that actually gave them some, some businesses made massive changes for the good and some people made amazing life choices. I mean, even I spoke to one client and he went for the first time I went fishing. I was like, have you always wanted to? He says, I've been wanting to go fishing for years. But actually now, because, I mean, he was fortunate, granted, he had a river at the bottom of his garden. But the fact that he had a river at the bottom of his garden is even worse when he'd never gone fishing. So, you know, all of these things, are, it gave you the ability to give yourself permission to experiment and to explore. And ultimately, that's what we have to give ourselves. I have to say, Jeff, it's raining very heavily here, so I'm going to have a river at the bottom of my garden in about 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as done here, I'm going to go fishing. <laughs> But one of the things you mentioned, uh, you mentioned the importance of planning. So yes. with that in mind, what mm. is in store for yourself for the rest of the year? So for me, the big one is, is I'm building, I'm launching a new podcast. That one's going to be just me, a bit of ego stroking, I suppose, but it's about teaching people my strategies. Success IQ is about interview base. And the other one is, is working on some online challenges. If people are wanting to learn planning, they can either sign up and do it themselves or they can sign up and do a 28-day challenge, which is weekly calls with me just to help them sort of understand what is going on and to hold them accountable to get it done. So a lot of online community stuff is probably the real thing and and hoping more and more sort of in-house training because I haven't done that for long with COVID. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Journal Podcast. And join us next week as we sit down with Michael Humans, the man behind the magic of field watches. Embracing Scottish heritage, each watch is made using the reclaimed wood of whiskey casks and hand-sewn Scottish leather, creating truly one-of-a-kind timepieces.